We are going to be in Colossians chapter 1 again today uh, under this uh, title, Fully Devoted Followers of Jesus Christ, the Undiluted Jesus, and we're talking about him, and he's wonderful. You know, this morning I got dressed, it was dark, and uh, I try to keep the light off so I don't wake up uh, my wife, and so I got all dressed by the light, you know, street light comes in, you can see enough, I put on my tie, and I picked the clothes out the night before, I thought I was all ready, looked pretty good in the dark in the mirror, and I uh, got here to church and turned the lights on in my office, and I looked in the mirror, and I, I tied the tie so it was like this. <laughs> I thought, do I dare leave it like that? Just to, you know, I said, no, no, no. The idea is that we spend time getting ready to be in God's Word. And so that's what we've been doing here is getting ready. And when you see something that isn't quite right from the light of God's Word, then you need to fix that, right? And uh, so I, I turned it around, but I had to laugh at myself to think, wow, you thought you were all ready for the day. And uh, there's still some preparation to do. So we are uh, going to be in Colossians looking at Jesus. You might think you have it all together, but uh, look at the, the mirror of God's word. He might show you something that uh, just something even a little that uh, needs to be improved or, or to fixed up. Last week, we looked at Jesus' place in the created world. He's top. He's number one. He was the creator. And then we looked at Jesus' place in the fallen world, and he's supreme. He's the savior, and he's the redeemer. And uh, he, he paid with his own life, uh, which we just uh, celebrated and here around the table to remember, as Jesus told us to do, his broken body and his blood, which was poured out for us. And uh, then we also looked at uh, the, the circles getting smaller of getting down to how about just Jesus and you and put him first in your life to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus. Well, today we're looking at the question then, what does the fully devoted follower of Jesus do? Because it doesn't matter what you say, it's what you do that shows what you really believe. So here's the big idea. God calls fully devoted followers of Jesus to make God's word fully known, powered by Jesus alive in you. Fully devoted followers don't remain the same. They grow into spiritual maturity. So we've been reading this love letter written by the Apostle Paul, and uh, we're going to look and see a portion of what he wrote, and then we also want to look at his life as an example of what it means to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ, because he certainly was. And in the process, I hope to motivate all of us to fully follow Jesus ourselves in everything. Paul has been this brilliant scholar, a Jewish a student of the Old Testament scriptures. He was passionate about his faith. And so when he felt it was being threatened by this new movement of people called uh, people of the way, the Jesus way, they were following Jesus of Nazareth. Naturally, he opposed it with all his might. Now, you might need to be reminded that the people of uh, Israel in Jesus' day, in Paul's day, were living in bondage in their own country under the heel of Rome. And there was a passionate desire for a change from bondage to freedom. And people, some people fought against Rome with a sword like the zealots did, but many of them didn't last very long because Rome would put them to death. And many other people would spend time praying and talking and searching the scriptures for clues because the Old Testament is chock full of prophecies that talk about a coming Messiah, a savior, someone who's gonna come to the world and is gonna make wrongs right and is gonna get things well how they're supposed to be. And the Old Testament talks about where the Messiah is gonna be born and what he's gonna do when he gets here. And in the years before Jesus is born, this there's a fervor to say, we have to find out who is the Messiah and is he here yet? And they're looking for clues. Many of them looking in the dark, but they were looking for clues. 
to find out who is the Messiah and how do we get him moving forward with momentum to give us freedom. They even went out in the desert in droves to hear John the Baptist preach, and he was really nothing to look at, but he was preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, the kingdom of God, and everybody's looking for the Messiah. And so many times they had been disappointed as, as the rumor would come out, hey, the Messiah is here, he's here, he's here, and they would go check it out. But then even John, after he was put in prison, sent a question to Jesus, are you, a, are you the one who's to come, or should we look for another so then you jump forward to the disciples after Jesus has died, after he's come back from the dead, after he's been with them, around them for 40 days, he got them all together in one spot. And the burning question they had was, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? When are we going to get on with it? When is the Messiah? Jesus, we believe you're the Messiah. When are you going to do the work we think the Messiah is going to do to set us free from the bondage of Rome? But God had a much bigger plan. See, we know with, from the benefit of history and of Scripture that Jesus is God, and he came into this world in human flesh, and he died for the sin of the world, which is what we were commemorating today. But in Paul's day, after Jesus has died, lots of people were stirring up trouble from Paul's point of view, claiming Jesus is alive again. And in fact, he is the promised Messiah. So Paul set out to compel them with force, if necessary, to return to their Jewish faith and way of thinking. And God met him on the way, actually God interrupted his plans and changed Paul's life forever. Now, so Paul, actually his name was Saul Paul, which... You know, having a name Thai guy, I think it's pretty cool that his name rhymes. But um, so Saul was set out uh, to Damascus to arrest people who had become believers in Jesus. And Jesus arrested him and uh, his attention. He's thrown to the ground and with a blast of light, a voice speaks and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he says to the light, who are you, Lord? He didn't know the Lord, and it's just it, he knew this was a higher power. He knew this wasn't something that a person could have done. And the voice says, I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting. And when he got up off the ground, Saul Paul wasn't able to see. He was blinded. They took him into the city. They made him comfortable. But what do you do now? Well, somewhere in Damascus was a believer named Ananias, and he might have been one of the ones Paul was planning to arrest and torture and even put to death. And there's only one little paragraph about him, otherwise we'd know nothing about him. But in his moment when God called on Ananias, Ananias obeyed God because he was a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Acts 9 verse 10 says this, now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he's seen a vision of a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, are you nuts? Okay, that's a little loose translation, but... He said it this way, Lord, I've heard from many people about this man, how much evil he's done to your saints at Jerusalem. And he has the authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on his name. People like me, Ananias is saying. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry the, my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. And I will show him how much he will suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, brother Saul, 
<laughs> That's quite a step, isn't it? That's uh, quite a statement of faith by Ananias. The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me to, so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. And Paul goes on to become this superstar and Ananias is never heard of again. Paul became a Christian, a leader, a pastor, a missionary, an evangelist, an apostle, taking the gospel to all peoples, including the Gentiles. Now this was radical. That idea that the, the good news of God would be not just for Jewish people, but for everybody. And so Paul suffered greatly for it over the next couple of decades. Later, when he's writing this letter to the church in the Colossae, Paul is sitting in prison, probably in Rome, and he's writing to this church of people that he's never met, and most of them are Gentiles. And look what he says fully devoted followers do. He says fully devoted followers of Jesus make God's word fully known. Verse 24, Colossians 1. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. There is a lot packed into this little paragraph, but let's take some of it apart. Paul is willing to suffer so that other people come to faith in Jesus Christ. When he preaches Jesus is Lord, the Jewish people are threatened because they think he has forsaken the faith of his fathers. And the Gentiles are threatened because many of them are working in, uh, with jobs that are making idols out of wood and stone. So those people are going to lose their jobs since nobody will need the idols anymore. So Paul said his suffering is filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. That's a difficult statement. What is lacking in the afflictions of Christ? Absolutely nothing. Nothing, or so it would seem. Jesus' death on the cross completely paid for your sin and mine. That's why we're here today celebrating. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. He paid the whole price. He completely satisfied God's anger at our sin. And he completely takes away all of our transgression. Even hanging on the cross, Jesus said, one of his statements we translate into English, it is finished, or it has been finished. Or the word is one Greek word, tetelestai, which is in the perfect tense, which you English teachers know is completed action with a continuing result. It has been completed. It has been finished. Jesus suffered for sinners. He suffered to bring the gospel to the world. He suffered for the church. Jesus completed the work of redemption for all people for all time. Paul suffered for sinners. He suffered to bring the gospel to the world. He suffered for the church. Paul's suffering did not bring redemption. He's not God. Paul's suffering opened the door to people to hear about the good news of Jesus, whose suffering did cover sin. So how does Paul, how do we fill up what's lacking in Christ's afflictions? Well, Christ is the head and the church is the body. We're connected to each other. Your head and your body stay connected to each other or you're no longer living. And so Christ is still suffering on our behalf today. You go, really? 
See, when we suffer, Jesus suffers. I mean, try this. Go home and hit your thumb with a hammer and see what happens to your head. Okay? Your eyes will flow with tears. The yelp will come out of your mouth. Your head and your pain are connected. There's another picture of Christ as the groom and the church is the bride of Christ and that someday there will be this great wedding in heaven. Well, if your wife or if your fiance is suffering, you will hear about it and you will suffer too. We, the followers of Jesus Christ, are visible reminders of the holy to the people around us. And they're watching. People today cannot see Jesus suffering on the cross. He's no longer hanging on the cross. They may not even know that Jesus suffered. They may not even know Jesus at all. But they're watching you. And they're watching me. They're watching us and how we deal with hardship and setback and loss and tragedy and grief and disaster and heartache. Fully devoted followers of Jesus respond differently to all of those things than the world around us that has no hope. Paul said, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Now that's a little beyond me. Anybody here want to admit, okay, I rejoice when I suffer. Yeah, only the, I'm looking at Tandy. You know, we're looking at the spiritual mature ones to see. Because I wish Paul had said, I endure in my sufferings for your sake. I would understand that. But to say, I rejoice in my sufferings, but it's consistent throughout Scripture that people who suffer for the, for the sake of Christ, the, it produces surprisingly joy. Matthew 5, Jesus is preaching the Sermon on the Mount. He said, blessed are you when others revile you, persecute you, utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. In Acts 5, Peter and John have been called on the carpet. They've been arrested. They're having to give answer to the Jewish council. And they said, it says, then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. In Hebrews 10, 34, it says, you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Fully devoted followers of Jesus make God's word fully known. How do we do that? We live the Christian life focused on Jesus. We serve our family and our church and our community in the name of Jesus. That's what's beautiful about this. It gives you an opportunity to tell somebody about Jesus or the military ministry. Did we get to talk a little bit about that? Good. And so, and so Chuck is here. And uh, if you want to be part of that, to get signed up to say, I want to be part of reaching people who are standing in harm's way on our behalf. Maybe they're even separated from their loved ones. And for us to be able to share Christ with them, what a blessing to us. We also know God's word and we share it by our lives and on our lips. And we suffer when we're pressed into it. I wouldn't recommend going looking for it. Sometimes we suffer just because we were obnoxious or we had it coming. Other times, we actually suffer for the sake of Christ. Then we know the joy of the Lord as our strength. Second thing Paul tells us here is that the fully devoted followers of Jesus are powered by the hope of glory, which is Christ in you. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to the saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is I always like to whisper on a mystery. Christ in you, the hope of glory. 
Christ in you, the hope of glory. A mystery comes to light when something that was in place is lost. Something that was known is forgotten or discarded. And then later it's found. You might have had that happen on your desk as you go back through papers or the mail. Oh, that's where that is. A mystery. Well, way back in Genesis 12, God was beginning to work with an individual named Abraham. <clears throat> he used Abraham and his family, which became a tribe, which became a nation, which became the people of Israel. God was started with Abraham. Look what he said to Abraham way back at the beginning. I think part of this got forgotten. In Genesis 12, it says, Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And I think that's where they ended the sentence. But God went on to say, And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Not just all the Jewish families of the earth will be blessed. All the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him. Abraham obeyed. Abraham obeyed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. In other words, what you really believe is what you do. That's how we can tell, not by what you say. So Abraham believed God and God's promises that if he followed God, God would bless him and his family and his tribe and his nation and his people and all the people of the world. That would be the Jewish people and everybody else. That's good news for us who are not Jewish because we would have been left out. Who here is firstborn in your family? You were a firstborn child. Oh, yeah. Wasn't that cool? Just having mom and dad all to yourself and all the resources. Yeah. Uh, who's the secondborn? You know, that's when... Thank you. Thank, that, that's my favorite group because I am in that one, I guess. But... Um, you know, firstborns are forced to share, and that's not a big deal for secondborns because they started by sharing. You know, they've never known any different until number three came along. Who's here three or greater? Oh, yeah. Those are the ones who really know how to negotiate. Okay. <laughs> See, and what the Jewish people forgot is that they had a responsibility from God that God's giving them blessings, blessings, blessings to be for everybody. But they wanted to keep stuff for themselves. They didn't have this idea that God's good news was for everybody in the world. So this was a radical idea when suddenly the Holy Spirit is given and it spilled out beyond just the Jewish people in Jerusalem. It reached everybody in the world. And Paul is part of sharing that. And he's saying, here's the mystery. Christ is in you. God's living in you. He's the hope of glory. I mean, in Jesus' day, these people have this nationalistic fever, set our country free, set our country free, set us free. And God is at work doing that in each individual human heart, setting them free from sin, cleaning it up, preparing the human heart for God to live there. So the mystery which God revealed, which they found so remarkable, was that whether you were Jewish or Gentile, God would come to live in the human heart. That God would give the person who owned that heart forgiveness and love and purpose and Christ and hope and heaven and glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. You can't invite Christ into your heart and remain the same. Your sin is forgiven. God declares you not guilty. Your thoughts are no longer your own. God's spirit brings to mind the thoughts of Christ. Your future is no longer your own. God is prepared where you're going to spend eternity in heaven. Fully devoted followers of Jesus are powered by the hope of glory. Christ in you. God makes this good news known to people through the people who already love him. 
I mean, we proclaim Christ to all people. We want to bring them to Christ. They need Jesus. This week I was asked to plan a memorial service for a family. As we sat down, the person who knows the deceased best happened to make the comment, you know, this person was spiritual, but they, they didn't love Jesus. They weren't a Christian. Well, we're going to get together and talk about that person and all their wonderful accomplishments, and there were many in their beautiful family, but they have no hope. People need the Lord. They need forgiveness. You know people like that. Put them on your prayer list. Rejuvenate. Maybe you've prayed for them for decades. Keep praying. Share the Lord with them. This is a great opportunity to open conversation even this week. How do we share the love of Jesus with people? Christ is in you. He's the hope of glory. Without him, there is no hope. There is no glory. See, fully devoted followers of God make God known. They can't help it. They're filled with Christ. He's alive inside. Paul concludes this number three by telling us, grow up, Christian, grow up. Fully devoted followers of Jesus grow toward maturity in Christ. Verse 28, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we present everyone mature in Christ. The message of Paul was Jesus Christ. The hope of every believer was found not in a religion, but in a person. Not in a system, but in a person. Not in ritual, but in person. Not in rules, but in a person. A real, live, living person. Jesus Christ. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom <coughs> that we may present everyone mature in Christ. The word translated warning in Scripture here has the con connotation of confronting people, hoping to change their attitudes and their actions. Paul is certainly trying to do that with the, uh, the Colossian church, isn't he? He's saying, get back to the undiluted Jesus. Don't mix in three parts Jesus and two parts worldliness. Paul is calling them to a mid-course correction in their daily Christian walk. Some of us might need that today. I mean, are you trying to compromise between Jesus and the world? I mean, it didn't work back then. It doesn't work now. Just come to Jesus. Like when we gathered at his table and you have moments for, for reflection and to ask Jesus to forgive you once again and to, to name specific sins and to thank him for his promise to forgive and to make your own promise and commitment, I will live for you and to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Paul's saying we proclaim Jesus warning people with godly wisdom because someday we may present everyone mature in Christ. People who have Jesus alive in their hearts are alive. Live things grow and they grow up. They do not stay the same. They mature in Christ. They begin to care about things that they didn't care about before. They care about the things that Christ cares about and they care less about themselves. And they, it doesn't just happen with age. There are plenty of older people who have been Christians maybe for a long time but never grew up spiritually. They've just kind of gone along with the flow. To grow up spiritually, you have to be intentional. And there will be a day of accounting in heaven. What did you do with Jesus? How did you live your life? What did you do with the giftings and the talents and the abilities that God gave you? What did you do to keep growing and maturing? Or did you get off track and wander? Can you imagine seeing one of your children or grandchildren and realizing, wow, they're not getting any taller. They're not gaining any weight. 
They're not maturing. They stopped growing prematurely. You would want to get them to the doctor to say, what is wrong with my child? They're not growing because healthy living things grow. Now, I don't know if you've ever grown tomatoes. I have. And one time they were just growing like a weed, the long vines and lots of leaves, but no tomatoes. So I went to a real farmer and I said, what's going on? And they, without even looking, they said, you're overwatering them. You give tomatoes too much water, they'll grow lots of leaves, but no fruit. That's a picture of some Christian people as well. All leaves and no fruit. They don't produce. They don't mature. Paul's talking to these Christians in Colossae and saying, come on, get on with it. Mature. Grow up. He's saying somewhere along the way, some of you got stuck. Maybe we let ourselves not get bad, but we let ourselves get too busy. So we don't have time to do the important things. Maybe we got hurt, so we got mad at God. Maybe we didn't even think about the responsibility that we have to bear fruit. And Paul is saying every fully devoted follower of Jesus has the responsibility to grow spiritually. I can help. Your Sunday school class can help. Your small group can help. But it's up to you to say, God, help me to be growing in you and to track your progress and to do things, spiritual disciplines like reading your Bible or praying regularly, connecting with other believers, sharing our faith, practicing generosity, standing strong under persecution. Christian leaders all, though, bear the responsibility of those under their care to give an account to God for the people they lead. Paul is saying, I want to present every one of you mature in Christ. I do too someday for you as Christ and I talk about you by name. I want to hear him say, well done, in how, in how you grew and in what I provided for you to help you grow. In verse 29, Paul says, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Paul says, I'm going to keep working. I'm going to keep struggling. I'm going to keep moving forward in Christ and with Christ and on behalf of Christ. I'm never going to quit. I am powered by the energy of Christ. It's not in my own strength. It's the powerful energy of Christ bubbling up from inside me. And Paul has made these conscious commitments. I will not quit. I will not allow discouragement to win. I will be positive. I will be godly. I will continue to share and care on behalf of Christ. I will do the right thing. I am powered by Christ in me, the hope of glory. Paul was practicing that from prison. That's got to be tougher than you practicing at home or practicing it here in your church or practicing it in our community. Have you reviewed how do you bless? How do you bless your church? What do you do to make it better? What do you do? To, uh, how do you share? How do you care? How do you work uh, to do your share? Do you lift others up? Do you let the energy of Christ power you? You might be thinking, oh, you know, we have it so tough. Here we are trying to improve our campus and it's taking too long and it's costing too much. And here's what I would say, forget it. Forget it, focus on Jesus Christ. We're not suffering. Paul was suffering, he was in prison. He was beaten up more times than he could count. He had been bit by snakes. He had been left out to die. We're nowhere close to any of that. Paul knew suffering. We just need to make God's word known and to share the hope that we have, that Christ is in us, and we need to grow up and mature. So let's be like Paul. Let's do the work of Christ and be filled with the joy of the Lord. Let's be fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Shall we pray? Dear God, I pray that you would use your word and use the example of Paul in our lives to inspire us 
to keep stretching, to keep growing, to keep exercising those muscles, to keep moving things forward, to keep on keeping on, keeping the main thing the main thing. It's Jesus Christ and lifting you up, that you are alive in us. So may we be growing, may we be faithful, may we be fruitful, may we be willing to stand for you, even to endure suffering if necessary, so that people can hear about Jesus, because you are the only hope. And we thank you, and we love you, and we praise you. And God's people said, amen.